Hi, Jasmine Lopez here. If you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us by going to radioproject.org and click on the big donate button. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes, which helps other listeners find us. Thanks, and here's the show. I'm Andrew Stelzer, and this is Making Contact. On this edition, low-paid workers tell the story of the Fight for 15, the exploding nationwide movement for fair wages. Okay, should we walk a little bit? Where are we going to go? So, so where did you move here from? To, to New York? Well, I, I come from Guyana. The only English-speaking country in the Caribbean. Oh, uh, my name is Alvin Major. I am a proud father of three girls and one boy. I've been married for approximately 16 years now. And um, on the 12th of this month, I'll be 50 years old. And do you have a position in the movement? Are you just a, are you an organizer? Are you... No, I'm, a, I'm just a worker. I'm, I'm a KFC worker. I'm not an organizer, I'm not nothing. The only thing we organize is that we the workers, we got a, we got this, this um, what we call ourselves um, NOC, National Organization Community, and we are just the workers coming together and setting out programs for other workers to follow and trying to get other workers in the movements. so those workers can spend the money in our communities and raise everybody up again. And then these companies are, pay, doing it, are paying now, they don't want to give you nothing. You just get your basic salary. We barely get a few sick days the other day. And if we wasn't fighting, we wouldn't get this. When, when we started this fight, we was getting 7.25. We up to 8.75. But if we didn't fight, we would still get 7.25. You know? 725. 725. Like but then we, after we stand up and start to fight back, because f- from the inception, when, when I heard about getting, this, like getting together, when people, um, organizers come and explain to me, like, oh, we're getting our weight steps and all these, things, all, these work, all these companies been robbing us, I was scared because I was working 84 hours at three different stores. 84 hours average every week. And then. And it was shops. KFCs, three KFCs. And then you see what happened now, I'm getting three paychecks. No overtime. So actually, why is they robbing me? They, they, uh, my paychecks was robbing the government too, because the moment you work on one paycheck, you got to pay more taxes. You see? So it's both of us was getting robbed at the same time. And as soon as I get with this movement, they cut my hours to 30. From 84? From 84. 84, not 84 alone, 84 average. So it's some sometime I make nearly hundred hours. At that time you were making seven twenty five? Yeah, I was making seven twenty five, but among the hours I was working, I could have paid I could have paid my bills and even put a little bit of food on the table, buy a little clothes and things for my kids. So it was like okay. I said, well the guy come and sit down with me. Can we we make arrangements to get a meeting? So he sit down and he explained to me like what's really goes on and things. So but I said, okay. If that's it, I'm done with it, you know. Well, I was still scared. What, it, what was his promises? What was he saying? Our, what was he saying the goal was? 
the goal that the goal that he could, he was just showing us how we been getting robbed or labor. We've been working so much, and then like sometimes you walk off the clock, you do all this. He was just explaining these things to us. So, so okay. So we decided to get a meeting. Yeah. So it's with the with different people from different stores and nice. And then we had the meeting, and in the meeting we had a lot of eagling and haggling and like. What it takes, like, you know, what it takes to really survive in this one of the most expensive cities in the world, right? So it's like, some people come up with all kind of, kind of ridiculous claims, some like 20 something dollars, some is 30, some 10. It's like, so we, did, we did ask this, like, we did the calculation, and it's like, just to survive, I'm telling you this. Basic, like, basic to survive basic in this city it takes 15 but that's just the basic survival you still can't do nothing really i'm telling you you make 15 now you could barely survive you could barely pay your bill and then certain place you work and you cannot pay that bill still i'm telling you so anyhow we came up with 15 and we went out on the first strike workers at some fast food restaurants in the city are walking off the job today. Fox 5 Steve Lacey in Midtown with that story right now. Steve, what's going on? Good morning, Dave and Roseanne. A pretty active scene here. This is uh, organized by a group called Fast Food Forward. We are here on Madison and 40th in front of a McDonald's. You can see there are a lot of people uh, striking in front of this McDonald's. They are calling for higher wages. According to Labor Department statistics, the typical fast food worker makes between eight to nine bucks an hour. They want to see that boosted to 15 bucks an hour. They also... But that day was great because ain't nobody care. Give, it's like... It's like we were surprised, it's far more we were surprised to see so much of people out there because we thought it was just a few of us, but then we were surprised to see so much people there. Right now we're living in poverty. Like these companies are making billions of dollars and we are not being appreciated for the work that we do. Most of these people, most of my co-workers, they actually had to rely on food stamps and other government help. So it's just, uh, it's not realistic for you to make 725 and actually be able to survive in this city. And then next thing you know, the governor in New York, the governor of New York, oh, we'll be raising the minimum wage to $9. Like, okay. Minimum wage earners may be about to get a big raise. That's one of the focuses of the new state budget. Part of that final resolution is expected to include an increase in the minimum wage to $9. You know that when we started this movement, the governor wasn't on board with us. We've been going up to Albany and marching and chanting and in, the, in, in, the, um, in the house and those up there. We was up there. And nobody was on board with us. But as as the as the train when the train leave the depot, it leave empty. And then it pick up a few passengers. And then it keep picking up passengers. And then even to people that didn't want to be on the train, they jump on board. That's why all over the country right now is, is in the politics, is in the everybody's talking about 15. 15 is like the new anthem of New York or USA. You know, these corporations don't want to give us benefits, don't want to give you $15 an hour. You know, it's kind of 
outrageous to be get paid eight dollars an hour especially i have co-workers that have been working there for a long for five plus years and still getting paid at least eight dollars or probably they get a raise of 25 cents in september 2014 another national strike included acts of civil disobedience like sit-ins in the street and occupations of fast food restaurants and this time the movement brought on board home care workers over 150 cities saw low-wage employees march through the streets, and hundreds were arrested. $8 an hour and $9 an hour is not good enough. I have family and generations be, be after me that will be coming, and that's not going to be enough for them. So, you know, I'm really doing it for them because I know as they grow up, they're going to be working at McDonald's and stuff. And I don't want them to just have a 25 an hour. I want them to be able to survive and take care of their families and support themselves and go to school all at the same time. They don't want us to unionize. They don't want us to come together in solidarity and fight these corporations that are not paying us and we're living under poverty level. So I'm right now we are on um, by the junction of RZ and Broadway. I live just up the block RZ and Bushwick. And as you can see around here, is a is a lot of stores like Rite Aid and Dunkin' Donuts, Popeyes, and plus you get a lot of like 99 cent stores. You got a lot of stores right around this area, and as you can see, most of the stores they be paying people minimum wages. It's wages that people could hardly even pay their bills, you know. What, what neighborhood are we in? We in Bushwick. This is Bushwick neighborhood. This neighborhood is Bushwick. And as some listeners might know, Bushwick was considered a cheap neighborhood at least till five or ten years ago. Yeah, it was considered a cheap neighborhood because when I came here, I came I came up here in 2000, and I was paying I was paying like 550 for one apartment, but then I brought up my family. So I had to move from there, and right now I'm at an apartment, and it's my family, and I'm paying a thousand dollar. When the month come, my baby make like twelve hundred dollars. So you should imagine what really going on there. And then my wife used to be working and assisting me, but then she took ill with cancer. So right now all the bills is on me. I got two big kids, and both of them are after Buffalo State College University. So. You can imagine the sacrifice that we got to make. The sacrifice that we got to make is that right now we are three months behind on our rent. Yeah, I mean, when you write it down, you start doing, but how do you, do, when you do the math, you're like, how can you? Yeah, you can't so, so, even try to do the math. That's why we got to depend on assistance from other taxpayers to the government to actually put food on our table. Even though we're doing that, we get assistance from the government, we still can't make it. You know, that's why I'm back on rent. Making, making, making contact, making contact. <laughs> we'll hear more from Alvin Major in a bit. He's one of the New York City fast food workers that are credited as kicking off the movement for higher wages. But there's been another cohort building their own campaign, telling their own stories. Walmart workers. Here's Walmart employee Richard Wilson. He was interviewed as part of an oral history project conducted by Columbia University. I went against Walmart for business practices. At the end of the day, I understand that they provide a service for people, but how they go about that is plain robbery. 
you know, that you count your bottom line off of your customers and your employees getting government assistance, getting food stamps. So you actually pay them so low that they qualify for food stamps because you're not paying them a livable wage. And I think that this economy uh, definitely favors Walmart in that sense because people are so desperate to have a job that they will work for almost anything um, just to have food on their table. What has your experience been like actually being at Walmart compared to what you'd want it to be? Oh, man. Oh, man. I have been lied to from the first time I opened the door. <laughs> um, I've actually, my experience, uh, going back to my uh, store manager at the time in Virginia, you know, put forth a great deal of promises. You know, you can do this. You can do great things with this company. And, and to me, it's not been nothing but lies. The store I work at now, we now have a new manager, but the manager before him would not give me full time. I came in and worked my tail off in the store and just would not give me anything. It would be like, you know, you're on your way. It was always something. And even my um, store manager now, he actually avoids me. But he, he avoids me. He's like, you know, Richard, I will talk to you, but I'm afraid of what you say. What I say will be on CNN, and uh, when I did the labor strike, you know, my everybody in my store was like, "Oh yeah, Richard, we saw you on TV." Today's rallies are being billed by organizers as the largest since Black Friday back in November. More than 50 Walmart workers and activists were arrested last night in Los Angeles's Chinatown district after they took to the retailer's store to demand better pay for low-wage workers. 25000 a year, better conditions and benefits, and the reinstatement of 20 workers allegedly let go for attending similar Walmart protests last year. Those are their demands. While you have associates that don't have money for food, don't have money to put clothes on their kids' back, and you are getting so many bonuses, and you will not share that with your associates. Critics say protests like these are just whistling in the wind. There are 10 people who will jump on any vacant Walmart position, and the company knows that. But with Walmart workers and recently low-wage restaurant workers taking action, supporters say a movement of the low-waged is gaining momentum in this country. You're listening to Making Contact a production of the National Radio Project. Because of generous support from listeners like you, this show is distributed for free to radio stations in the U.S., Canada, Australia, and South Africa. To find out how to donate, download shows, or get our podcasts, go to radioproject.org. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. You are listening to Making Contact. I'm Andrew Stelzer, and you've been hearing voices from the movement for higher wages that has swept the country over the past few years. It began in New York City in November 2012, and since then, fast food and other workers have been calling for $15 an hour as the new minimum wage, and they've been getting that in many cities across the country. 
We're joined now via Skype by labor lawyer Thomas Gagan. His latest book is titled Only One Thing Can Save Us, Why America Needs a New Kind of Labor Movement. Thomas, welcome to Making Contact. Thank you, Andrew. So you've been studying the labor movement in the U.S., really for decades. Did you see this Fight for 15 movement for higher wages coming? Uh, no, um, and yes. No, in the sense that I didn't think it would be as successful as it's been. Yes, in the sense that I knew SEIU was funding it. Uh, so um, it seemed um, a kind of logical follow-up to Occupy Wall Street. But I, I think the real surprise of Fight for 15 is not so much that it succeeded. The much bigger surprise is that uh, the Service Employees International Union threw so much money into it without any expectation of gaining more union members. That is a huge surprise. Yeah, let's listen to a clip from Mary Kay Henry, the president of SEIU, Service Employees International Union. I spoke to her outside a protest at a McDonald's in Oakland, California. This wasn't a traditional union organizing campaign in the sense that fast food workers were targeted for organizing. Fast food workers grew into a movement that SEIU decided we needed to support because when they raise their wages, it's gonna raise the wages of workers that we represent all across the service sector. Hospital, uh, home care workers, hospital service workers, janitors, security officers, child care workers, and so our members were deeply committed to helping the fast food workers win. The fast food worker movement grew out of our political work in the city of New York. I would say SEIU followed the lead of courageous fast food workers who decided that they should stick their necks out go public and call for $15 in a union. And back when they said it, everybody thought they were crazy. And their growing movement has helped people think, maybe that's not so unreasonable. Do you think that unionization is uh, important long-term, or can this, movement, can this movement continue to succeed, build economic opportunity without unionizing? No. <laughs> Uh, it can't succeed without unionizing. What the movement is, from labor's point of view, is kind of a cri de corps, a cry of the heart, an unconscious one, perhaps, uh, an unconscious protest about the way that the Wagner Act puts limits on unions. Um, you know, in, in most countries, we have a very weird system of labor representation. So uh, you have to get a majority vote. You have to have an NLRB certification. Uh, you have to be deemed the exclusive representative of everybody, everybody whether they like it or not, in a particular prescribed bargaining unit. And then, and only then, does the employer have a duty to bargain with you. That isn't the way workers of the world organize in most other countries. If they get 10%, 20%, 30%, they go to the employer and say, yeah, we represent some of your employees, sit down and bargain with us. And that bargaining applies only for people who are in the union, right? It doesn't apply to people who aren't in the union. But if the employer gives higher wages, et cetera, et cetera, to those who are represented by the union, it's probably going to give it to everybody else because otherwise people would just say, hey, I'm going to join the union and get this higher wage. Um, we have a really, really weird system of labor law. So how far do you think this movement uh, 
will go? And do you think we'll ever, I, I suppose at some point, but do you think anytime soon we will see a significant increase of the minimum wage on a national level? And also, what about states uh, that are now trying to prevent local cities from raising uh, local wages? Do those state laws have a potential to stop the momentum? Well, you won't get anything out of Congress. Uh, so uh, you might get an executive order that requires federal contractors to pay 15. I mean, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton are arguing over that at the moment, uh, whether it should be 13 or $15 an hour. But in terms of raising the minimum wage by Congress, I would say that for at least until uh, 2022, uh, there's no chance of that happening because the U.S. House is gerrymandered uh, in favor of the Republicans in a way that Democrats aren't able to overcome. Uh, you'll need a new census and then you'll need new uh, redistricting and hopefully it won't be as gerrymandered this time and uh, maybe the Republican Party will be weaker and the Democrats can take back the House. Until they take back the House, nothing will happen. And Barack Obama has gone pretty far with the executive order and uh, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders are really arguing over you know, to what extent you tweak it. Uh, there may be more local initiatives to raise the minimum wage, and there may be more states in red states, uh, but not in blue states, to stop the localities from doing that. Before you go, I want to reference the title of your book once again, uh, Only One Thing Can Save Us, Why America Needs a New Kind of Labor Movement. Are we currently witnessing that new kind of labor movement? Is that what the fight for 15 is, or, or do we need something uh, bigger and better? The answer is yes to both. Um, I mean, our system of labor representation, exclusive representation, majority votes, all of this sort of stuff doesn't make any sense. There's 6% of the private sector is in unions, and a big chunk of that 6% doesn't particularly care one way or another about unions. They may go out and vote for Trump. Meanwhile, you have all these activists, people who are really militant, who might be for Bernie Sanders uh, or um, against uh, trade treaties or marching for Fight for 15 or part of Occupy Wall Street, who would love to be in the labor movement, but they aren't because in this country, they can't get in the labor movement unless, you know, 50 percent plus one of their fellow employees is in the labor movement. And most people they aren't against unions, but, you know, they're reluctant to get involved. You know, please leave me alone. I don't want to, I wish you well, but, you know, leave me alone. Uh, so I think that's what Fight for 15 uh, shows. It shows a systemic problem with our labor laws and not just the minimum wage laws. And the question is whether it's going to lead to any kind of rethinking. Having the government come in to set terms and conditions of employment in a very limited way in these cities, whether it's San Francisco or New York or anywhere else, it's not a substitute for a real union movement where people have some say directly over their working lives at work. To me, Fight for 15 just shows that we need a different model of labor representation in this country. But I think organized labor isn't ready to make that kind of break and to leave the shelter of the Wagner Act and this exclusive representation uh, principle, notwithstanding that SEIU did do something like that in funding Fight for 15. Thomas Gagan, uh, thanks so much for speaking with us, and we will link to your work on our website, radioproject.org. Yeah, bye-bye.
very few of us looking at that uh, when it started uh, would have imagined that it has gone to where it has now. But uh, it has been really, I'd say, one of the more successful movements we've seen in a, in a while in terms of moving things on the ground uh, that'll make a very real difference for a large number of workers. Ken Jacobs is chair of the UC Berkeley Center for Labor Research and Education. It really captured the public's uh, imagination. Hearing the stories of the fast food workers really made it much more real for people in terms of, you know, what does this mean for people's struggle to get by on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis? And I think that's made a big difference. And then those workers who got to, you know, all got together from around the country and saw each other and I'm not alone in this and sort of their imagination was sparked also around what's possible in terms of making change. The first major domino to fall was Seattle, which passed a citywide $15 an hour minimum wage in 2014. The following year, more than a dozen cities, counties, and states followed with their own wage increases, including San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Pittsburgh. Some companies are getting out ahead of government entities and raising their own pay rates. And back to the heart of the movement, in New York, state employees and fast food workers will have their minimum wage raised to $15 an hour by 2018 in New York City and 2021 statewide. KFC employee Alvin Major is pleased, but there's still lots of work to be done. How do you think this, uh, when this law goes into effect, or if if it was more than just fast food, how do you think this neighborhood might look or feel different? Well, um, the first thing when it happened, as you could see how the place looking, it need a facelift. Place needs a little beautification. The, the roads, everything, the sidewalks, everything would be much more better because most, most, um, like most people in Brooklyn, you find they spend back their money like right around the neighborhood. So the neighborhood would be more prosperous, you know. At least me, I, I particular, I love to spend my money right around my neighborhood. Um, so you think the neighborhood would look cleaner? People yeah, would take more care of it. People take more care and everything, you know. As long as people get in, as long as people get in, a livable wage, a wage that they could settle their brains. Their brains ain't gotta be working so hard, all for just to survive. They got a lot of people get stressed out over these things. So, so what do you think is important uh, for people to understand about your story or about the story of this movement? Okay, so the most important thing is to show that when we stick together, we are much more stronger. And when several you fight, there's always a possibility of winning. If you don't do nothing, you ain't got nowhere to go. You remain the same. Sticking together in numbers is strength. The unity. Have you been surprised at all in the success? Uh, for say a surprise, yeah. I'm surprised that the success came so fast, but we know, we know that we would never stop fight until we achieve what we desire. And that is 15 and a union. The union is so much more important than the numbers, I want people to know that it's time to stand up and fight back. Stop taking crap. Stop doing work that you're not being paid for. You know, 
we, 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 our art is too good for these people that run this company. These people are a lot of artless people that run this company. I mean, they did something good by creating jobs and so on, but what does the job pay us? It's almost like slave labor, you know. I say it's time. Watch, look and see what we have achieved for the past three years. And come and stand with us in solidarity to get what we deserve. This whole movement started in New York City. And then it traveled from New York City to other cities. And then other states then bounced out to New York, out to United States into other countries. So this thing is international now. We start this thing and like we 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 never you guys didn't even like care about us. But then I realized that even a bushfire, it only takes a spark. And when the spark started the fire, it's not about the spark anymore. It's about the whole jungle that we've been burning. And that's it for this edition of Making Contact. To get our podcast, check out our website, radioproject.org. That's also where you can download past shows and make a difference by supporting our work. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. The Making Contact team includes Lisa Rudman, Jasmine Lopez, Laura Flynn, Monica Lopez, and Quan Booth. I'm Andrew Stelzer. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.